0: Hello, listeners, to another episode of Float Your Boat. Did you like that, Brett? Hello, listeners. I like that. that, That's right. I'm I'm trying something different week to week. Brett, uh, today, who do we have on? Today, George, we've got Joy Smithers. Now,
1: Joy, Joy Smithers, jack of all trades, really, in the artistic world. She certainly is. Joy has been a friend of mine for many years. I met Joy when she was 17, I think. I think she was seventeen. Oh, you can't remember, or I, you? I can't remember. Certainly not. <laughs> <laughs> I have trouble remembering yesterday, let alone all those years ago. But um, Joy, Joy is a, an amazing human being. She has done so much in her career. She's she started off as a model. She became an actor. She's done movies like Mad Max. She's wow. Bangkok Hilton. She hosted MTV. She did Good Morning Australia. She was one of the first hosts on that. Um, and in between that, she's had children. She's also, she also started a, uh, a ceramics company called Mud Australia many years ago. Which, which is, is quite famous, right? Amazingly famous now. They've got shops all around the world. But um, she's no longer in that. No, but, but she has now started a new ceramics company called Batch. right. Yes. And
0: so she—that's obviously one of her passions. I mean, ceramics and pottery I guess, must be her passion. I guess we'll the find out true today. artistic expression. But I mean, on the face of it, again, very successful individual. But what is it that we're learning today?
1: I think Joyce got a, a secret that she hasn't told many people that she's going to tell us today about her life
0: from when she was a child. I think, um, if anything, um, having having received, like uh, listened to a snapshot of uh, the the uh, her background, it's it's um, I'm losing my train of thought here. That's all right.
1: You often lose your train <laughs> of thought.
0: It was that last glass of wine I had last night,
1: it's and like, the wi- yeah. and the whiskey that you just had just there. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. You know what? Was- you know what? It's not a bad thing that you've lost your train of thought. Why is that? Because Joy's here. I can see her at the window. Let's get her in. Of course. Okay, let's go get her. The Float Your Boat Podcast, about how everyday people created their road to success. The highs, the lows, pitfalls and potholes, and how they overcame it all. And now, here are your hosts. Do you remember being in a band with me? Well how-
2: Briefly. Briefly, yeah, for two seconds. Do you remember where I met you?
1: I was trying... George asked me this yesterday. I and do. I- and I thought it was at... Something to do with Mark Buckley.
2: No, way before then. It was before I was singing. I would have been 19. I was getting a lift home by your manager, I think. I was so cranky because I had to stop off at this household of musicians and I just wanted to go home because I was working the next day. And I was sitting on a beanbag waiting for my girlfriend to do whatever she needed to do. And you came in after a gig from the all-nighters and you, threw, you ran across the room and you threw yourself... Like tackled onto the beanbag, like as I like hello, and I was horrified. <laughs> well, I was on you. Well, no, he he just well, on the same beanbag.
1: Oh, same beanbag. Look, you know, we he were didn't kids. Crash you.
2: No, it was could, kind of it was kind of like trying to, to get my attention.
1: <laughs> could you imagine me ever doing that, George? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I do. I I it's have funny. It's I it's... have like snippets of of uh, memory. I mean, you know, because this is an adult podcast, I guess I could say oh, there was a lot of times that I was probably on mind-altering substances when I was hanging out with Joy. Well, I've, I've, yeah, I've got such a good feels memory. Sometimes <laughs> Joy, Joy was probably but sober and straight. And and we were how old were you, right? Joy?
2: Oh, we probably would have been 17. Yeah, getting ready for a model. flower
1: of youth. Yeah. Getting ready for your big career. I, as I was saying in the preamble, you've done so much in your career that it trying to go back to every little bit would be Impossible, but I guess what our podcast is about is about you and your story, not Mm. so much what you've done. So, I was trying to think where to start today. Well, your story that you just said was a good start. How about we start with hello, hello, Joy? (laughs) Hi, boys, hello, Joy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We get carried away, we do, we're excited because the lovely Joy. Well, I'm actually going to leave this one pretty much to you, Brett, because you know Joy.
1: Uh, no, but you might be able to come years. up with better questions because uh, I'm, I'm, I'm
0: reminiscing at the moment. Look, you know, I mean, we, we, you, you said it yourself, Joy, uh, before we started recording, that, 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 you know, what you do in life is just a manifestation of who you are as a person. And given that you were mostly um, a public figure in, in the TV and movie space, you never really got to um, a, a enunciate what kind of person you are and what your drivers were, what your thought processes were. So I guess maybe you should start going back to that 17-year-old. What was your burning desire and how did it come about?
2: Okay. I've been told by my lovely staff that the only interesting podcasts are the honest ones. Yep. So That's right. in the name of honesty, That's why you're here. Um, <clears throat> driving force for me was to leave home. That was the absolute um, jewel in the crown. And I started that when I was 10. Why? Because we had a very dysfunctional home life. Um, You'd say, I guess, garden variety, um, domestic violence, garden variety in the sense of, you know, pushing, shoving, threatening, slamming, that kind of thing. Right. And um, mental health issues, um, poverty, parents both hoarders, House was always filthy. Um, because my elder sister was schizophrenic, acutely schizophrenic, I was always in harm. It was not okay.
0: She wasn't medicated?
2: Oh, she was medicated, but even when she was well, she was still unwell. So she was in a lockup unit for years and years called Gladesville, which has now been um, knocked down and made into apartments. Mm. But because I was a toddler, because I'm the youngest... Um, I was taken there pretty much every night from a very young age. So, when you get that, st- and also when you have poverty, you don't, you've got social workers and police. Look, I'm not saying all poor people have this, it's just that we had a particular set of um, dysfunctional circumstances. So, I guess in one respect, I was always um, marginalised. I was also, um, the street would talk about us. All the time. Where did you grow up? In Um We lived in, well, basically I was um, in my parents' room until I was like five because in a cot. And then when I grew out of that, I was in the room with my sisters. Um, so we were like four girls in one room. But, you know, so I guess in that respect, it was always for me to make my own way. Mm. There was no money. If I wanted to get anywhere, I had to walk. Um, my dad drove a cab. Um, and as a result, he was pretty much never at home. Mm. My mum, the way that she dealt with it, was just on tranquilizers. Mm. And so everyone was asleep. Fortunately, um, I think I've just been very lucky that I've always been a really positive person. It's yeah. actually, I just... Do
1: you think, do you think <laughs> Maybe that, my name? Do you think, <laughs> no. Well, I, th- I think your name suits you. I've always thought your name suits you. You've always been joyful. I
2: Ooh, think I'm just so. annoyingly optimistic. I always see the glass half full because I know how bad it can get. But um, the reason that I say this to you, Mm. um, or, you know, reveal, is because, um, you know, I think that this has actually been the making of me. Mm. I would, as a child, have hated me because anyone who didn't even have money, anyone who just, like, you know, even loved their kids and turned up to games because my parents didn't do any of that. Like, yeah. you know, if I would get an award, they wouldn't be there. I would be the kid that couldn't go on the school excursions because you didn't have the money, yeah. you know. Or, or I, I would be the one, like my school shoes, I wouldn't get new school shoes till, I, till my toe had come through the school shoes. Yeah. So, I mean, I find it really hard to even wear shoes. I hate shoes. Right. You know, I've got a, a problem with being cold. Like, I always take jackets because... So, but do you know what I mean? Like in, in this day and age, people don't really know that. But anyway, so the funny thing is that <laughs> <laughs> I'm very good at renovating because the house used to leak. Every time it would rain, we wouldn't think about fixing the roof. We'd just grab pots and pans and put them where the leaks are. So as like little kid, like about 10, I've figured out how to foot an extension ladder and I got on that roof, said to my dad, how do you fix the roof? And he told me with bitumen and potato sack, cut that stuff up. I I figured out how to do it. I fixed the roof, long story short, at 10. Never leaked again. No one said, wow, Joy fixed the roof. But I was like, yeah, well, let me have a go at the lawnmower. Pushed it up to the, you know, road. It needed petrol and a spark plug. And I think that, for me, was an absolute... I went, I'm moving out of home and I just got into fixing things and I became like a matriarch. And then the funny thing is that my sister Susan... Um, you know, we all needed to leave home was just not good at home. So Susan taught herself to type, got a job in an advertising agency. All these models would come in and she said, how do you model? No one ever said we were pretty. We were just – no one even could know our name. We were just – I was just Alice's kid. I was like, ugh, you know, because you look wrong. Mm. Your clothes are too big or too sh- small or, you know, you just don't look right. Um, Susan got a job in a modelling agency. She figured out how to be a model. Within a year, she was signed to English Vogue. Mm. And so because she just kept me with her the whole time, she was more, even though she's my sister, she's kind of more like a mum to me. Mm. Um, So I would always be with her. People would say, oh, you know, we're doing some photos of Sue. Let's do some photos of Joy. Twelve years old, I was photographed for um, Vogue. And then that was it. I had money. I said, okay, I'm going to learn piano. Um, As a kid, just backtracking, the church really... Took care of me, right. and I became extremely religious, right. which I probably was up until I got into the music industry. So I guess I've always—I've <laughs> I... always had this thing that you can do. You just got to apply yourself. Mm. You know, I don't wait for people to ask me. I think I really want to do that, and I get on with it.
1: So, where, <clears throat> where is all the family now? So what's Sue doing now?
2: Um, well, Susan is does a, some TV appearances now and then. She's putting a show together as a singer for um, a Peggy Lee show, I believe, she's working on, which is is great. Yeah. Um, My other, uh, my older sister has passed away. Mm -hmm. Um, Mother's passed away. Father is doing very well. Mm -hmm. Um, Things have calmed down over the years and also, you know, I must admit that there's much better medications. But it's kind of kept me away from drugs because in the 1970s, most of those, um, you know, homes, most of the, um, sorry, the um, mental institutions that I had, you know, uh, reason to visit, um, were full of people that had taken LSD and not come back. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, ICE is the big scourge. Mm. But it's like, um, you know, I I just think that it's wonderful now that people talk so much about mental health and, you know, are you okay and all of that kind of thing. But I think everyone really has to um, be careful of their own mental health, you know, you mustn't put yourself down. You must look up. you got a choice, you know? Mm. You can't. And, if you, and, and also sometimes some of the bad things that have happened to me in my life, they've been the saviour of me.
1: I was going to say, do you think because of that hardship, through hardship, you know, the Phoenix Rises sort of thing where you became more driven because you didn't want to be back in that
2: hardship? 100%. Absolutely. No, I really do think that's the making of me. So I left home at 16. I went to Fort Street High, which is an academic standard school. My teachers were horrified I was leaving. But, um, you know, it's. Anyway, I left. I forged my parents' signature. I got a passport and I moved to Japan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, uh, hang on, so <laughs> where that come from? Like,
1: uh, was um, that, that would have been the modelling thing. Yeah, right, well, my sister
2: had been over there and made some money and she said, I'm right. going to go to Japan, you should come with me. So I moved there um, for almost a year and that was, well, the two lots of six months, made heaps of money. Um, loved modelling. Modelling. Love the you Japanese. The, you know,
1: the Japanese loved blondes in the 80s mm. and late 70s and 80s, so mm. all the models that mm. I knew... They all did their time. It was like um, national service, (laughs) in a way. You went and did your time in Japan, and then you'd come back. Yeah, I knew knew a lot of girls that went to Japan, but they
0: ended up in the men's clubs, those businessmen oh, really? lighting cigarettes for oh. for rich Japanese businessmen because that's what they wanted Western oh girls dear. to look like and buy the Madrid. I'm uh, sure that
2: probably still goes on. Yeah. Know? Yeah. But it was uh, it was wonderful and the Japanese really got me organized because it taught me how to be neat. <laughs> you know, I didn't know that because I didn't get those messages from home. And I think modeling also made me very professional because you if you're on time you're late. You need mm. to be there twenty minutes 15, 20 minutes earlier, so you can say hello, you can unpack your things, you say, you know, this is have a look at the clothes, get organised, and then when it's time, you start working. Mm. Um, so I think I was very lucky um, in that respect. And then I just decided that I wanted to sing. I didn't want to uh, – I got really sick of people thinking that models are dumb sluts. I mean, they basically think you're stupid and you must be,
0: mm. you know – Is that what they thought?
2: Oh, People just, you know, yeah, well, you know, I think men kind of like to think of you as some kind of a trophy or, you know, you're a model. There's this whole very negative stigma that goes ahead with model, and, and that's not true. Most of the girls that I met, and I modelled all over the world, most of the girls I met were just very sweet girls about to go to uni or, you mm. know, they weren't, they were just young girls, you know. Um, yeah, so I guess I just decided that I, I wanted to act and even though I hadn't I'd done some... Um, classes, Saturday afternoon classes for years and years and years at Ensemble. And I thought, you know, um, I'd really, I know that I can do this because I felt that, that I had had so much life experience that I could accurately portray um, people's, um, you know, emotional turmoil. And, and I felt I had a lot of life experience beyond my years. And so um, I think that what's really important with anything that you do is that you have that self-belief. And and I found this with with business, is that um, you know if you're easy to deal with, if you're a, a joy to be around, you you know you like I only really work with people that I like, mm. you know that's what's wonderful about um, you know having your own business.
1: Yes, I remember you had because in your bio, there's, there's periods where you were really busy mm. with acting and, and, and stuff, modelling and even singing. And, but I remember there was a period where you started a business doing what you're doing now, but back then I think it was called MUD. And that was a period... Was it Did, did you get to that period because you had had enough of acting and modelling or was it just that you had to do that as well? Because it seems to me that you are always doing A million things, not just one or two. You're managing a family, you're, you know, working for organisations, you're doing voiceovers and now you've got a business. Has it just always been like that or do you get periods where you go, I'm not going to act for a while because I need to do some business stuff?
2: No, I think what changed for me is that I decided to have a baby young. I was married to a man who was a bit older than me and his parents, they wanted a grandchild, a grandchild, a grandchild, a grandchild, you know. And I thought, oh, I have a kid young. I'll have more of my life to spend with my child. I'll get a nanny. But what I didn't realise is how much I wanted to be with that child. I, I had no knowledge of children. I was the youngest of all the cousins, I had no knowledge of babies and when I had my little baby I didn't want it to be with a nanny and I spent the first year working on Good Morning Australia and hosting a kid's show and doing acting things but actually I didn't want a nanny. I wanted to be the mum Hmm. and no-one told me. (laughs) (laughs) No-one told me that and so your career really does suffer but that was totally by choice. But who was
0: looking after your baby whilst you were doing all these things?
2: Oh, the first year of while I was working like a crazy person, um, I had a nanny, had like a a 12-hour-a-day nanny.
0: Right, and that that hangled you a little bit, did it? It it got under your skin, the fact that you were handing your baby over to a nanny.
2: Yeah, look, I'm all for carers and I'm not judging anyone, but just Mm. for me, I wanted to be the one to raise my kid, to be the one to say, no, don't do that, that is not okay because you don't pay someone to discipline your child, you know. Um, I would say that's probably why the big gaps and the big holes, you know. Mm. But I did um, start mud. The thing with the ceramics is I studied it at school. Um, we, my parents insisted that I do art. It was the only – they never set foot in the school. They never came to any speech days even though I'd get prizes. And it wasn't until um, my mother said you have to do art because everyone in our family does art. Mm. I was like, no fucking way. And she insisted, thank you, Mum, because it was wonderful. I cleaned up the ceramic area. I wanted to be away from everyone. Um, I didn't want to be with with the kids my age group. Um, And so I cleaned up the ceramic room. I had the teacher show me how to throw clay. There was a kiln. And I basically had private lessons with her to the point that she said to me, look, you can just use the teacher's stairwell it's okay. And so in I'd just turn up for roll call and during school hours I would be in the ceramic room.
0: Right. But well, actually you, meaning missing you'd classes, jigging classes through mm. the stairwell mm. down into the mm. Right. Okay. No one could
2: see me. And I studied I was just there like continually. When I left school I went to New South Wales Uni and studied ceramics. I've basically done every beginner's course you can do. And then acting will come along and be some amazing take thing. You away. Yeah, and then I and then I thought, look, this is ridiculous. I did Bangkok Hilton, and I thought, oh, this is great. And you know, I'd I'd had a nice time with with singing and touring around, and I'd, I'd kicked a lot of goals. And I thought, what do you really want to do? I thought I really want to do clay. And I thought, okay, so I went to National Arts School, and you know, auditioned, and they said, look, you've, you've got in because of your drawing, not because of your clay. And you know, I was passionate about the clay, but then Bangkok Hilton was a miniseries with Nicole Kidman in the 80s. I got to do the publicity tour in America. I got a couple of a- um, offers from agents and people saying come back. And I said, no, 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 I'm actually – I've been accepted into art school. I'm going to go to art school. I was 25. Um, didn't have a kid. And um, everyone said to me, are you insane? You're going to go to L.A. Don't be so stupid. Of course you're not going to – because there was no um, ceramic industry here mm. then. Mm. So – I went to America. I set up a studio over there. I stayed there for a while. I hated America. I just It was awful. It wasn't about art. It was about you're thin and blonde, therefore you fit in. They'd say to me, oh, you're, you're a good actress. They hadn't seen my resume. They didn't know if I could act. Of course, I fitted a particular look, and I found that um, just repulsive, and I actually almost gave up acting.
0: <laughs> not- is, that, is that how it works over there? You have to fit a look?
2: I don't know about now but then most definitely. Right. And it wasn't like it is now, there was no Australians over there. Nicole wasn't a big deal. There was no you know, it was but anyway, look, whether that was good or bad, I came back and um, I started mud.
0: Well, Joy, I'm I'm curious to to understand better how you what what were you thinking at the time? I mean you, you were you were a model. You don't I mean, most people don't just automatically transition into um, acting. There must have been something you did, courses, something. No, I mean, how, you, how did you make that transition? But more importantly, what were, what were your thought processes at the time? Like, what were you thinking about yourself? Was it a case of life is a smorgasbord, I need to try everything? Or did you have a, a long-term strategic plan in mind of where you wanted to go?
2: Oh, look... Most definitely long-term strategic plan. Um, My sister pulled me into modelling. I never would have done it otherwise. It was easier than working at McDonald's. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I'm going to use this for travel. It was a ticket out of home. Yeah. Um, I thought, I'm going to use this for travel. And then I always wanted to act. That was, you know, definitely on the agenda. But I think I always had the entrepreneurship. Um, When I was a little tiny, tiny kid, I figured out that you could get the five-cent refund from the bottles. So I used to go all around the neighbourhood and collect them.
0: You were. Wow.
2: And I'd spend all weekend just walking up to the local <laughs> milk bar, and he would be so cranky with me. <laughs> um, and because I wanted to save up for the Royal Easter Show, which I ended up going to, and I bought every show bag.
1: Kids to now, kids today would not get that at all. <clears throat> well, they time. wouldn't and know. As soon as she said that, I was. Th- I went. I. F- My memories flooded back to when I was a kid collecting the bottles, taking them up to the milk bar and getting lollies.
0: So I I was one of the kids behind the counter dispensing the the five and ten cent coins to kids who were bringing in the Coke bottles, and I had to wash them out and put them in the wooden crates and stack them up out the back, waiting for the Coca-Cola truck to turn up, and I'd stack them on the truck. (laughs) So my job... I used to hate... People like you too. (laughs) Because it meant more work for me. (laughs) That's right.
2: And then um, when I was 13, I used to do a lot of modelling for Jenny Key. Uh, They had this shop called um, Flamingo Park up at the Strand Arcade. Jenny Key and Linda Jackson were good friends of mine, used to do a lot of modelling for them. And Jenny, um, I've always been a crafty girl. Yep. And so um, Jenny had me um, knit these hot pink coat hangers as a kid I had this little so I've always had a little bit of a you know cottage An industry
1: thing going on. and then
2: in at the bicentennial um I was doing a lot of um wardrobe and um props for rock videos i I just i as a voluntary thing I used to want to know what did crew do because as an actress you turn up on set and they put you in a room and they give you a cup of tea but you know everyone is there the crew's there and I thought well what is the best boy what who are all of these people so I volunteered with Stephen Priest right. on I was a producer at the time on um you know rock videos and tv commercials doing wardrobe and then and props um and I stopped that when I was offered a film because I thought oh my god I'm giving I'm taking work away from proper people. But um, again, you know, that was a voluntary thing. Eventually I did get paid, but I it, I was getting so much work that it caused me to have a studio. Like I, I took a studio with a girl that I knew at the time called Colette Dinigan. And then she said to me, we should start a little business. And so we started um, this thing called Palladium Design. Mm. And we used to make um, t-shirts and shorts and skirts and sell them all over Australia to like, you know, sportique and this and that. And so I've, I've always had little things, and I'm, I'm married a chef, and um, we started a restaurant. And I'd be oh. I'd be filming down at Crawford's, you know, Monday to Friday. I'd come back off the plane on the Friday night, walk into my restaurant, pick up a plate, and start bussing.
1: What was the restaurant
0: now called? That it's called the Alice. Now that wasn't in your bio.
2: Oh well, the thing is, restaurant? no one's asked me about the business no, stuff.
0: No, I just I do I do want to know a little bit more about that because I grew up in I grew up in. The food and beverage game in small businesses and, you know, cafes, coffee lounges, restaurants. So that that's of immense interest to me. Like anyone who can handle those kind of businesses, well, they show tenacity. They work long hours. They oh, yeah. such hard work. <laughs> and it is hard work for very, very little money, really, at the end of the day, given the number of hours that you put into your business. What did you think of that?
2: Such friendships. Yep. Two of our kind of people that I met, they were waiters. They are the godparents of my kids.
0: There you go. Along with and
2: Colette, she's a godparent as Where, where and was mom. this
0: restaurant?
2: It's called Alice. Where? And it was on the first floor of a 1950s motel in Fletcher Street, Tamarama. Remember it? And it yeah. used to have an out... Yes. And it right. used to have outlook on all of the red brick roofs with that, the ocean in the background. Do you remember?
0: It was yours.
2: It's mine. Oh, where you are you? The How Alice. My mum's Alice. <laughs> How did that
0: go?
2: It went very, very well. But um, we, my, uh, my husband was a New Yorker. He's a chef. And he said, um, you know, Australians don't appreciate good food. <laughs> um, you know, that, that would be better kind of, um, had our marriage lasted, we were looking to open something in competition to um, Bill and Tony's in Stanley Street. He said lasagna um, schnitzels in Australia is where it's at. Quick and fast and lots of it.
0: Well, it certainly was back then, but you were probably, you're probably a little bit ahead of your, your, your time. Um, because now he, he couldn't say that about Australians. We, we oh, uh, not now. Good food.
2: Well, yeah. I make a lot of plates for um, chefs. I work with a lot of chefs now, with Rockpool, with Cafe Sydney, um, Tequila Mockingbird, Barbro's. So I'm I, I actually about to do a whole lot for um, a restaurant, um, high dining restaurant uh, chef people in Bangkok. What
0: well. do
1: you mean you make
2: I, I make the Joy the makes plate. plates. Because I
1: have and a ceramic Of course. That's, yes. what, that's what batch is called. So originally, yeah, right. originally Joy was mud and mud have gone on to do what mud do. Mm. And Joy, that's why Joy and I have popped in and out of <laughs> our lives a lot. Mm. From business. And music. To music. Joy was about to sing in a band that I was in. I can't even remember what we were going to call that band. But I've still got the. The, the publicity for Joy no. Joy
2: and the Cole Boys? No,
1: no, that, yeah, well, that was my jazz band. Joy Joy and, and the, the Cole Cowboys. Boys. I started but, jazz band. But yeah. see, I can't remember what we were going to call that band. They were kind of call it Joy Joy and the Cole Boys. I think we might have tended it. Yeah, maybe we did. Because you were the star and I, we were just the putzers in the back. But yeah, not but, yeah, well, but, maybe we but were. Joy's come and gone, like through in my life a lot. And we had some mutual friends that, which I wanted to briefly talk about because I noticed in the bio about the AIDS foundations, yep. et cetera, Joy and I had mutual friends that, that were in that period of the 80s when lots of people were dying of AIDS, unfortunately, and that's all changed now, but that's where we connected again. So we've connected through business right up until today. Right. But I wanted to ask you about the, the, the foundations because you do a lot of stuff outside of business as well. Yeah what is is it are you driven to do that oh god yeah
2: absolutely look the thing is when i was modeling because we had so so, you know as i flagged difficulty at home um and my sister got me into the modeling scene a lot of gay men uh, and they were divine to me they were so beautiful to me um you know they really doted on me they dressed me up they're so beautiful they're so sweet and I mean, I basically had a nightlife from the time I was 13 because I had money. My parents didn't really give a rat's ass where I was and I'd just say, you know, I'm going out. I'd call a taxi because I, I was making money. I had my own money. And it's part of the reason why I turned my back on the religion because they'd say, oh, model, you're in the modelling industry. That's full of homosexuals and prostitutes and, you know, those, those um, homosexuals, they're morally corrupting. And I thought, you know what? You're idiots because um, these gay people... Are some of the best people I've ever met in my life. Like, people are just people. It's not about, you know, people are people. Mm. And, um, but unfortunately, these, the, a lot of my friends, you know, that I knew or, or acquaintances from the modelling industry, they just died. Mm. Waves of people, mm. waves and waves. And then this very good girlfriend, I was offered to go and, and model in New York. And I thought, why would anyone want to model in New York? It's a, um, you know, they speak English. I would much rather go to Italy. Mm. Had I gone to New York, I would have lived with a girl called Robin Goreway. Now, Robin was invited backstage as a young Australian girl to, you know, she had a great lifestyle, but for whatever reason, and maybe this wouldn't have happened to me, but it happened to her. She'd gotten a heroin and then she got AIDS. She was a competitor of mine. You know, she was a model. She went on to do, pre- I used to present um, at Channel 9 uh, with Richard Wilkins MTV when it first started. I was like one of the first presenters, she was doing a thing called Live at Five. So we were kind of colleagues and she was my, you know, drinking buddy. I used to love Robin, and we're both kind of rock and roll girls. Well, she got HIV and she died of AIDS. Mm-hmm. And I was so ignorant of AIDS that when she was dying, I, was, I had a little one-month-old baby. I was terrified to go and see Robin because I thought if I kiss her, will I get AIDS? So I understand firsthand what it is like to discriminate against someone, and I will never forgive myself for that. Mm. And then when my daughter got to 11 and the drugs got better with AIDS and the dying kind of stopped, I thought, where is the Grim Reaper campaign? At that point I was on TV. I had a television profile, in that, um, some show anyway, um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to go to schools and talk about AIDS. And I basically got into t- fundraising And then um, I got into raising money to buy land in Cambodia for teenage boys because you can't sell a teenage boy. And so abandoned boys um, are kind of left to just raise themselves. And so Hope for Cambodian Children Foundation started as a group of philanthropists. Um, I can give my energy, not money. I don't have money to give, but there were a lot of wealthy people and we all threw in our time, effort and energy. And uh, we have this amazing... You know, kind of, it was an orphanage, but now we outreach all the kids. We send them back to their kin. Um, We've got this amazing community centre. Like, you know, we, and that's fourteen years ago.
0: But Joy, tell tell me a little bit more about the situation in Cambodia. Um, So, what happened there during the AIDS epidemic?
2: Oh no, no, no! I'm just saying that I was motivated by my friends dying to be involved with AIDS, and I tried to make, um, I made three. Uh, documentaries about children with AIDS, I couldn't make it in Australia because of the, um, you know, uh, the laws, you know, you don't want to um, identify, you know, the privacy laws. So I made them in Asia. Right. And then because people realised that I was sympathetic to Asian children with AIDS, the head of the, the governor of the AIDS trust said to me, um, we're actually doing this. Why don't you come and join us? Why don't you be on the board? of this um, foundation. So I'm very Amazing. much involved with that. I mean, our orphanage or, you know, our centre, um, you know, we look after a lot of mums with HIV. We've prevented, um, God, must be about, I'd say, close to 200 babies being born HIV-free because the thing is that the drugs exist. It costs $2 for this drug called nevirapine that is given to the pregnant mother either the last trimester or even as late as labour. You give a small dose to the mum, you give a dose to the baby when it's born, the baby 99.8% chance it will be born HIV-free. So we have, because we intervene, we've had all of these babies born HIV-free. Because what you want to do is stop the footprint. And also, because I understand what it is like to be discriminated against, Mm. I can't tell you how much passion I have for looking after those kids, because when I go over there, I see them, you know, and they're just like I was as a kid. They've got no shoes. The clothes are too big. The clothes are too small. The hair hasn't been brushed. They're hungry. It's you. It's me. I used to eat the dog food. I used to eat pal. It tastes much better than chum, I tell you right now. <laughs> I didn't eat it. I scoffed it. I was so hungry, you know. Mm. And so I look at these kids and I just go, oh, I love you. I want to give them the opportunity, you know. It does my heart good.
1: And now, a word from our sponsors. This is about the 400th take, listeners. <laughs> um, this is our, uh, this is our um, sp- for a male sponsor, Mungrel Joes. Yes, Mungrel Joes. So, uh, hey, Brett, what keeps you going?
0: I'm not sure what you're implying. I don't like where your mind's going with this one, Brett, but uh, without getting personal, there are many times I need a hit, and not from a bus. What keeps me going is a steaming hot cup of coffee, and not just any coffee.
1: Ah, uh, you must be talking about Mungrel Joe's. Yeah, a proud sponsor. Yes,
0: that deep, rich, tasty, and fulfilling coffee that perks you up, puts lead in your pencil, makes you glisten, and puts hairs on your chest. But what does it do for men? Boom, boom. <laughs> it brings out the mongrel in you. <laughs>
1: God, seriously, folks. Seriously, folks. Mungrel Joe's. That's my line. No, That's no, your line. No, <laughs> Mungrel Joe's is the best taste experience ever. It's 100% Australian, and not only is it a performance coffee, it's strong and smooth. Like me, of course, George. <laughs> it's the greatest coffee on earth. The world's greatest coffee. Is market. it really? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. Jump online at mongreljoes.com.au and give it a shot. Excuse the pun. No, 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 you didn't have to say that. Well, it's you printed it on the page, you're on, You're on fire, Brent. I am on We could fire. have scratched that out. And just for our listeners to put put it, put it, in a discount code, float your boat, and you'll get a special discount on your first order. Remember that it's float your boat. One word. If you love coffee, you should try Mungle Joe's. I'm telling you, folks, aside from this great script that George wrote.
0: <laughs> and it was so obvious you were reading
1: it. <laughs> yes, George, it was. <laughs> Anyone anyway, listeners, mongrel Jazz, it's it's the best.
2: I think for me, because I spent years singing that the um the legacy for me from the singing is that I have a voiceover career. Mm. Um, so with the singing, we had the band Joy Joy and the Cowboys. I had a um, recording contract with Alberts. I had a hit oh, in yeah. Sweden.
0: Okay. You had a hit in Sweden. Yeah. Was it in English? Yeah. Okay. And it went like?
2: <laughs> That's awful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then I wrote okay. some
2: music for um, that, w- that was picked up on a miniseries called You've Always Got the Blues. It was an album. It was a miniseries called Stringer and it was an album with Kate Sobrano and um, Wendy Matthews.
1: Which went like? George, <laughs> <And that. laughs> George does this. Whenever we get somebody that can oh, sing or play, on, he tries to get them to sing in the podcast. And I keep oh, on saying to him, you don't just no, burst no. into uh-huh. song in a studio, George. Well, you do. You know what we I'll have do, tried that. You know what I'll do to keep you happy is I'll cut part of one of Joy's songs into this interview, all right? Oh, that would be you great.
2: There's not many of them. And then I was asked to join Eurogliders. Wow. And so I joined as backing vocalist. Wow. Yeah. And um, that was around the time that I was doing wardrobe. I started to do wardrobe for them. And then they said, um, oh, you know, oh, you act. You should be in our video. So I was in their video, Heaven. Heaven must be there. I was in that as an actress. And then um, they said, oh, you want to sing? You should join us. You should be with us.
1: Funnily enough, we've just toured with the Urakalites. Oh really, mm.
2: Grace and Bernie.
1: Yeah, we yeah we we just we've been doing these '80s Wonderful. retro shows, well, the, cool. the wineries and stuff, and they've been on the bill, and uh, lots of other great '80s bands. They're the
2: best people there's ever. A whole bunch of forty-year-olds so don't
1: know it. <laughs> yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun. It's been, fortunately, the tour is now finished because it was killing me trying to run businesses and do this, and so that's why I'm all, I'm fascinated by how. You managed to fit everything in.
2: You know, I've got to say, Brett, that um, when I had one child, I could keep the acting stroke presenting ball in the air. As soon as I had two kids, it was... no. It, mm. Look, you know, I just can't because it's... Uh, it's just too hard, you know, it's like a 14-hour day. Mm. And if they say, oh, you know, you can, you can go to Adelaide for three months or, you know, six months or you can go to, you can go to the Northern Territory for ten weeks, well, that's great if you're single mm. or if you've got, you know, like a really supportive mother or mother-in-law and, you know, really cool husband, you know what I mean? I just can't. I'm not – I can't do that.
1: So your eldest
2: – Is it Whopper? Oh, Really? She's at Whopper. She's um, about to be an actress. She's in third year. They're all singy, dancey, creative, all of them. Wopper? things.
1: I think I remember. Yeah,
2: Western Australian Academy of Performing Arts. Oh,
0: not at Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, that's oh, what I thought sure. you were talking about. You are oh, such a, well, such a well, Seriously. Well, the only Whopper I know, really. Yeah, I'm, I'm not from the arty world, I'm sorry, but, you know, <laughs> in, 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 <laughs> look, apart from, <laughs> look, I, I mean... You you seem to tell us your story in a very casual, relaxed way. Surely there were times that you were pulling your hair out, stressed to the max, trying to you know stretch yourself in different directions. And were there times that you were really – you hit rock bottom and you thought, I just have to keep going? I mean, were there? Were there? Or did you oh, seem yeah. to be so easy Oh,
2: no, no. I think what happened, the rock bottom for me, which I – I say is also, you know, sometimes when you get the rock bottom, it can be the saviour of you. Yes. I don't know that if, if this society always is like, oh, be happy and, you know, take some pills, make you happier, be happy. There's actually nothing wrong with feeling your down mm. bits as well. It doesn't mean that you're a loser, depressed, every, you yeah. know, you've got to go up, you've got to go down, you yep. know. Mm. Um, I got cast in. So my, my second husband pulls the plug. Hey, darling, let's have lunch. I don't want to be with you anymore, goodbye, (laughs) and walked away. I was, like, horrified. Two days later, I get a call from my agent. George Miller wants to see you. Like, wow, I go in, you know, terribly distressed, you know, crying, get myself together, stop crying, walk in, hey, George, how's it going? Hey, there's all these other women there. He takes us through this storyboard for Fury Road, shows all these props, meet all the heads of department, and then he says at the end of the meeting, I want you all to be in my film. And I'm like, okay, this is where the family mental – health issues must kick in because this cannot be no one, you know, when I've been doing voiceovers for the last 10 years. Uh, okay, cool. All right, if you're nuts, how do you really know if you are insane? I went, okay, right. So we get out in the street and the other actresses, we all said, did we just get offered a role in Fury Road? And I was like, okay, I don't know that this is, maybe I've really just, you know, tipped over the edge. So I didn't say anything. <clears throat> My agent calls me two weeks later and says, why didn't you tell me? that they cast you. So we had to wait years and years because there was trouble with, um, you know, El Nino effect and whatever. Finally get to Africa. Do you still want to go? I'm like, yes, of course I want to still do Mad Max. I said, but the only problem is now I'm a single parent. He's overseas. I don't know where he is and I can't have Daddy off being glamorous and Mummy off being glamorous and who's going to take care of the kids. And I thought, you know what? God, life's a bitch. You know, you're so close yet so far. I said, I'd love to, but I have to take my kids I'm sorry, that's it. And so they made it work.
1: Wow. Yeah, God bless George Is that Miller. because you knew George before?
2: Yeah, he cast me in Mad Max. Um, he cast me in uh, Bangkok Hilton. And before that, when I was 15, um, he had actually offered me the role, the lead role in Mad Max. And my parents said, uh, you know, not being entertainment folk, they said, at fifteen, we're not letting you go and do that film. You get run over in the end. My mum's like, I don't want my baby to get run over. <laughs> and over my dad, of my mother's deathbed, my father apologised to me. Oh, I'm sorry about Mad Max Love. We didn't, we didn't know it was going to be a big deal. So you know. <laughs> Anyway, so George, God bless George Miller, cast me in that. I went over. But look, the, re- the reason I tell you this is that I, I lost all my voice work. So I got back to Australia. I'm kind of off the acting radar because yep. I'm turned down acting work to the yin yang. Yep. My voice clients couldn't wait because originally I was only going to be gone for five weeks. But when I got over there, they changed it to five months. So I, so I was... you were there for five months. Yes, I know. How amazing. <laughs> oh, it's so cool. He's amazing. It was incredible. I'm just so lucky. I'm so a lucky girl. So he got hang
0: around in Africa. Did he blow fun. the budget? Yeah. Sounds like he blew the budget.
2: I, he swapped my role with someone else. Oh. She wasn't too happy. But anyway, no, it was amazing, amazing, amazing. And um, But when I got back, I had no, um, you know, I, I was basically, it was a cash neutral for me because mm-hmm. I didn't rent my house out or, you know, I made money but I didn't stack it away because I took all my kids with me and a nanny. Anyway, so I got back, lost all my work. And then I got sick. I had like a parasite from Africa. I was hospitalized. And then I was like there in the hospital for a couple of weeks going, wow, you really, it's not okay, Joy. It's really no one to take care of you. And you really don't have any money. And now you have no work. And what are you going to do? And I went, okay, you're going to sell your house. You're going to pay off all your debt. You're going to get a chunk of money behind you. And you're going to buy whatever you can. And you're going to start your ceramics again. Because I Love it and makes me so happy. What I do now is I really love making mm. and I it makes me feel centred and happy to do that. So what I tend to do is um, paperwork before the staff arrive, go out the back and work with them till lunchtime. And then in the afternoon, because I have, you know, various... After school, children's activities, it's all movable feast and might get a bit of a voiceover. So yep. I tell my agent voiceovers in the afternoon after midday. So in the morning, I'm working with the guys. How are they as people? I, need, I want to engage with them. I don't want to just employ them. Mm. And so um, we make – and sometimes I find that we have happy accidents. Yeah. You know, you go, wow. Look at that glaze. Why did it do that? Oh, God, that's amazing. Oh, my God, that's
1: beautiful. And if you weren't in the, in the studio doing it, you wouldn't know about that. Whereas I wouldn't know. Doing, yeah.
2: And also I can adjust what they're doing because so my ambition is to get my team to across everything. So if they're trained in clay, let's teach them to do packaging. And if they can do if they're more of a packaging person, mm. let's teach them how to paint. So I want everyone to be able to pack kilns and do everything so you can step in because I don't want them to get RSI either. Yeah. You know, and I have had many injuries. Right. <laughs> Myself. Really? Oh God, yeah. You lift so many things, clay and hands, God, yeah, yeah. Um but Shall you we, know
0: show me your hands. <laughs> show me your hands. <laughs> There's so what well, I've got me have a look. Oh, the hands of a brickie. (laughs) It's so so true. (laughs) Um,
1: Well, Claire's nurturing for your skin. Apparently. (laughs) You have to apply it to your face. Yeah,
2: I've I've just taken someone on, um, Lovely Girl, uh, who I flip things to for the internet. Yep. Look, that's I'm cute. trying to play to my weaknesses. I've got a great bookkeeper, and I. Yeah. but I find that um, it's really important that I do the invoices because I write everyone a nice little note and I care about my customers, you know. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Did that orange work out for you? Or what about that shape? Or da-da-da, you know, because I think that is also something that's unique. I mean, I th- I've always thought with acting, why are they employing me? There's like, you know, 20 people that, you know, have been to NIDA and they're much more this or much more that. And I thought, well, because... You know, because they, I'm sure they could employ 20 different people. You know, there's the, any one of these women would do equally as good a job, but maybe they like me because, you know, just the way I am.
1: Is there a, a Joy Smithers secret that to life? Is there something <laughs> that you'd pass on to people out there, small business people, people that listen to our podcast, that... Be, I, I guess the reason I ask that question is because you, it, it astounds me that you do as much and you've done as much as you have done mm. one single person. Oh, God, yeah. you're lovely. So I, oh, I think there so must sweet. be a bit of a secret there that, or some words of wisdom. Have you got a pearls, the pearls of wisdom for our listeners?
2: I think something really helped me is when I was, um, must have been 14 or 15, um, I read an article, an interview with Yana Vent, Yana Vent was um, a very young, very spunky, super intelligent um, political Mm. television personality that she would interview politicians. And in this article, it said her words of wisdom were, be confident and organised. And I went, wow, let me apply that to my life. And as soon as, because I would always turn up feeling like a fraud, like today will be the day that they realise I really can't do this. I mean, I think everyone as I've gotten older, you know, no one is is ultimately confident unless there's some kind of weird narcissist. I mean, you always have your own insecurities and what am I doing here? So I think be confident, pretend. (laughs) Be confident and be organized. Just be organized. Get your shit together. Whatever be organized means to you, that's the best you can do.
0: And it's very simple to apply. And you know what? It's
1: very effective. It is. It is. It is. I find I'm I'm always early. I'm one of those people that, like, you know that of me, George, you know, with the surf club, with everything, I'm the organiser. It's just in my nature, even to the point where I think it's also an insecurity as well as, as, well as a strength that's a weakness. But, you know, like I'd like to be on time for people. If they give me their time, I should give them my time. That's how I always say it. That's
2: so lovely. You know, it's a lovely philosophy.
1: You, I agree. Okay, one more question. Yeah. I listened to a podcast the other day, and they were talking about this subject of mortification or embarrassment.
2: Yes, I would listen to it as well. You, Richard Feidler, wasn't Fidler. it? Richard yes. Feidler.
1: Have you ever been in that position? Like, I was telling George my story before we came on air, and he said, you've got to tell that story. But I won't in your space, but um, have you got a story where you were, it, it was mortifying? where yes. it, And you've held on to it forever. <laughs>
2: I can say it because you've heard the backstory, okay, so okay. Johnny Casablanca is a guy who used to own this modelling agency in New York called Elite. So in the nineteen late seventies, early eighties, he was a big he was a heavy hitter, right? So Johnny Casablanca comes to Australia
0: Great
2: name, by the way. To headhunt. And my agent, Jane Cameron, had a special little soiree for him to meet the girls in the agency to potentially choose some to offer modelling contracts. I was there. My mother came along as a, um, you know, guardian, chaperone, whatever, and my mother wasn't used to drinking um, because we didn't go anywhere and my dad wouldn't have alcohol in the house, and so um, my mum had a few champagnes. And she went up to Johnny Casablanca and she went, I know you, you're that singer from Don Lane Show. And he's like, hey, actually, no, I'm not. I'm Johnny Casablanca. Yes, and she's are. like, no, you are not. You're that singer from the Don Lane Show. I was like, oh, my God, I just wanted to be
0: swallowed up.
1: Yes, and that was the end of going to New York for the elite modelling <laughs> no, agency.
0: You, yeah, well, that's right. Well, that was the question. Did you get the gig?
2: No. And, 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 and just for the record, you know, my parents not allowing me to go to um, Adelaide or wherever it was to do Mad Max 1, I think that was the right decision yeah, because right. there was children, other children in the family with health issues. Um, they didn't have the money or the means. Um, mm. And what responsible parent would really let their 15-year-old daughter just go off into, you know, you know what I mean? Like they were Without good They were good parents. Mm. You know, they, they...
0: They just struggled.
2: They did their best. Mm. They did you their know? best, yeah. Yeah.
0: And the truth of it is you wouldn't be the person you are today had you not gone through that. And it's quite ironic that you're probably trying not to allow your... I mean, you, you tried hard not to let your kids go, follow the same path. They'll end up being very different to you, won't they?
2: Yeah. Yeah, they're, they're quite... They're privileged, you know. I, the only time I ever feel successful is when I feel like I'm being a good mum, actually. Mm. That's my... You know, so it's kind of like people say to me, "Oh, why didn't you do this, this with your career? Or, you had so much opportunity. Why didn't you try and do that?" It's like it's a different um, it's a different frame for me because to me, you know, the success, and I totally stand by this huge success for me to move out of home. Mm. That was a great thing. That, that was it. Well, it's like other people that say, "Oh, you know, I did a degree in university." To me, getting out of home that was the best thing ever, and I totally stand by that. And the same, it's like putting the effort, energy, and giving my children my time. You know, I think that's the best thing you can ever give your kids, actually more than money or anything, is mm. just your physical attention. Your presence, yeah. Yeah, your presence, you know. But being a good parent to me, that's kind of that's where my head's at. I'm a dag. I'm a big dag.
1: Yeah, do I look like a big dag. <laughs> yeah. Joy. Yeah. It's been a joy. Thank it you. It has been a joy. And we're really thankful that you came in. Thank you. I know you. that you're busy, super busy, as yeah. we've just heard, and uh, we feel privileged that you've come in to do our Humble little mm. floaty boat. Oh,
2: wish you luck with it. I've heard it; it's wonderful. You guys are so funny.
1: Well, we we can be, but
0: we'll let you in. We'll, we'll once we stop recording, we'll tell you about his moments
1: where he was mortified, and uh, you'll uh, you'll love those stories. And we're going to finish with your song, which yeah. is The Cure's I can't remember.
2: "Fascination Street." Fasc- Fasc-
1: Fascination, Fascination Street. Do you not remember it, do you, George? No. You were just busy stacking Coke bottles. I out. was. Bastards, all those people
0: returning those bottles.
2: When I would go into my restaurant, I'd open up at like 5 a.m. and I'd, you know, get the reduction on and start to kind of prep everything. I used to put this album on. So it's, uh, it I love it. Memories, it holds good memories, huh? It does,
1: yeah. Joy, thanks for coming Thank in. you, Joy. Thank you.